We turn to number 119Q in the Trinity Psalter hymnal, number 119Q, Wonderful Are Your Statutes, Lord. We're going to stand together, we're going to sing the four verses, 119Q. This morning, God's Word comes to us from Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, that is found on page 819 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to be reading just the first 10 verses of this chapter. Jeremiah 17 beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their asherim beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains in the open country. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoils as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Thus says the Lord. 
Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 893 in the back, as this morning I will read for you the questions and answers of Lord's Day 44. Reading from page 893, question 113. What is God's will for you in the 10th commandment? The answer, that not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with all our hearts, we should always hate sin and delight in all righteousness. Question 114, but can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No, in this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. And question 115, Since no one in this life can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that all our life long we may more and more come to know our sinful nature and thus more eagerly seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that we may never stop, never stop striving and never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, so that we may be renewed more and more after God's image, until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. Well, we come this morning to the end of our study of the law of God as it's explained for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. We have seen that the law is given to us in a certain structure. There are those first four commandments that deal directly with our relationship with God. We are to acknowledge one only true God. We are to worship Him as He has commanded us. We are to honor His name and we are to honor His holy day. 
And then in the second section of the law, we have those commandments that deal more, more with our relationship with others. How we are to respect those who are in authority over us. We are to respect life, respect marriage, respect possessions. And we saw last time, have a respect for the truth. And now we come to the last commandment, to the tenth commandment. And as we have seen throughout the law, throughout our study of the law, uh, keeping the law is more than just a matter of things we do or don't do. I think in the 10th commandment particularly, we see that keeping the law is a matter of what is in our hearts. That now which was implicit becomes explicit in the commandment regarding coveting. Children, coveting is something that happens inside. I can't see you coveting. Now, I can see if you're misusing God's name. I can see if you're stealing. I can see if you're not uh, giving the truth uh, when, when told to do so. But I can't see inside of you. Coveting is a matter of the heart. And, and the High Level Catechism picks up on that when it asks what is required, what's God's will in the Tenth Commandment. Notice the words it uses. Not even the slightest desire. That's internal or thought that's internal, contrary to any one of God's commandments, should arise in our hearts. Coveting is something that comes from within. Oh, it may express itself outwardly, but coveting begins in the heart. As a reminder to us that, that sin is not just a matter of those things that we do or don't do. It is our hearts that need to be changed when we know the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our desires, our thoughts must change when we know what God has done for us. It's a matter of the heart. And of course, changing the heart is something only God can do. We might be able to possibly uh, change some external actions, but changing our hearts, it takes the work of God to do that. The prophet Jeremiah, uh, throughout his prophecy, will make reference to the heart of God's people. He says that in Jeremiah 31, the law of God written upon their hearts now. And he talks about the heart in our text as well. So we use Jeremiah 17 to get at the commandment, you shall not covet a matter of the heart. The first thing we see in our text is the heart of disobedience. A heart of disobedience. Verse 1, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of the heart. What is the prophet saying here? Well, children, if they wanted to, to write something down and make it permanent, they would not simply write something down on a piece of parchment, on a piece of paper that could get burned, that could get destroyed. If they wanted to write something permanent, what they would do is they would take a piece of stone and they would etch in that stone with an iron pen or a point of diamond. They would etch what they wanted in the stone itself, not unlike uh, how the law of God is given to us, on two stone tablets. 
to demonstrate the permanence of what is written. And, and Jeremiah says that is what Judah's sin is like. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of the heart. Sin, a matter of the heart. It, it shows the desperate condition Judah found herself in. It was not simply a matter of changing their externals from disobedience to obedience, but a matter of hearts being changed. A heart of disobedience. And of course, we see in Judah, we see our own hearts. Our hearts left to ourselves. Not those who are seeking after God. Not those who are desiring His ways. But our hearts turned inward. Our hearts turned away from God. Our hearts blackened by sin. He says in verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Salvation is more than just a change of action. It is a change of heart. Hearts that are turned inward, hearts that are turned away from the Lord must be renewed and revitalized by Him. Jeremiah goes on at the beginning of this chapter, engraved on the tablets of their hearts, on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their asherim beside every green tree and on the high hills. The prophet reminds Israel of the nature of their sin. The nature, the root of their sin was, was idolatry, was failing to honor God above all, was failing to honor His holy word. That's at the heart of the matter. Wanting someone else on the throne, someone else calling the shots besides God. Something that would be more important than God or someone, and very often that someone is myself placing myself on the throne in place of God. This commandment, commandment 10, you shall not covet, really so beautifully, uh, along with commandment 1, gives bookends to the law of God. Commandment 1, you shall have no other gods. Commandment 10, you shall not place anything, desire anything in the place of God. Again, once again from our confession, that not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Our hearts are to be focused upon God, yet so often they are turned away. Look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's a simple description of our sinfulness. A heart turned away away from the Lord. A heart trusting not in God, first of all, but trusting in man. Trusting in myself, trusting in my own wisdom, trusting in my own works, 
placing my wants, my desires, my wishes as the center of my life, as what is ruling my heart. A heart of disobedience. Our confession asks in question 115, why does God want these commands preached so pointedly? First, so that all our life long, we may more and more come to know our sinful nature. The law of God has several functions for us. One of those functions is that it points out our sin. It gives us that perfect standard of righteousness. And when we compare our life against God's perfect standard, we must recognize, we must realize we have not kept the law. We have not done what God's required. We could not. And until we recognize that we have fallen short of God's holy standards, we will have no need for the gospel. If we think we are all pretty good people doing pretty well, we have no need for a Savior to come and save us from our sins. If the gospel is God takes good people and makes them better, then we have no need even for that because we're good people already. We're doing just fine. No, the law has that function of pointing out our sin that it might drive us to Jesus Christ. When I recognize the heart of disobedience that still lingers within and recognize there is nothing I can do to change that, I am, I am driven away from myself and driven to Christ. And that's what our confession talks about as well in 115. So that more and more I know my sinful nature and thus more eagerly seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. I don't, I don't point these things out today to make us feel bad. Oh, I feel bad about my sin. But to recognize we have a Savior for sin. We have one who has come and who did not have a heart of disobedience. But he had a heart of perfect obedience. The heart of obedience is found in none less than Jesus Christ himself who did exactly what the Father asked him to, who did everything necessary to secure our salvation. Jesus Christ, who at the Father's bidding would leave the glory of heaven, would come and dwell on earth. Jesus Christ, who would be offered up as a sacrifice, as a sacrifice for sin, as a sacrifice for our sin. He would pay the debt that we could not pay. He would pay that which we owed but could not satisfy. He would be the one who would come and through His blood and His perfect obedience offer up Himself for the sins of His people. Through His sacrifice, we would be washed. We would be cleansed. Through His blood, all of our sins removed before the sight of God. We often refer to this as Jesus' passive obedience, removing the sin which so clung to us. Jesus Christ came and offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. Our text says in verse 7, the contrast to verse 5, verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord 
whose trust is the Lord. Jesus came not only to offer himself for sin, to take away all our transgressions. Jesus Christ came to be perfectly obedient and to be obedient on our behalf. He provided the obedience which we could not give to God. God's standard is perfection, holiness, righteousness. None of us could give that kind of obedience. But Jesus Christ comes and does just that. And His righteousness, His holiness, His perfect obedience is now credited unto us. Our confession says once again that we seek not only the forgiveness of our sins and we seek righteousness in Christ. Righteousness, perfection, holiness. When God looks at us now because of the work of Christ, He not only sees the removal of our sins, as wonderful as that is, but he sees those who have been perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for us. Righteousness, holiness. We call that Christ's active obedience on our behalf. That is how God sees us now and imputed righteousness. That is the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of not only having our sins removed, but now being seen as if we were as obedient as Christ was for us. God does everything necessary for our salvation. Removing our sin, granting us obedience. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's the call that goes out again this morning. If you are still living with that heart of disobedience, if you think that somehow you can offer God the righteousness which He requires, then, then look away from your own heart and look to the heart of Christ, the heart of obedience, the one who did offer His blood to wash us from all our sins and who was obedient that we might be seen as offering perfect obedience and righteousness to God. And when we, when we look at that, the fullness of what Christ has done for us, our hearts then change. They change from hearts who seek after disobedience to now hearts of gratitude, hearts of thanksgiving. When we reflect upon what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That it was, it was not because I was such a great guy that God chose to do this. It was not because I could offer anything to Him. He simply in His love and mercy chose a people for His own and then did everything necessary to secure that people for His own. Our hearts now change. Our hearts turned away from, from desiring our own ways, turned away from an inward focus. But now our hearts desiring to be renewed after the image of God. 
Our hearts, that internal change now expressing itself outwardly. And the, song, the, uh, the, the writer Jeremiah here uses a beautiful picture of those who trust in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes and his leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of drought, even in difficult times, and it does not cease to bear fruit echoing that beautiful picture given to us in Psalm chapter 1, the picture of the blessed man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. God's blessing upon those who recognize the glories of what he has done for us, leading us in the path of blessing. Our understanding of what God has done now drives us back to the law. Not now as that which condemns us. Not now as that which only points how far short we have fallen. But now, that which is our desire. The desire of our heart. To keep the law of God out of gratitude. That's been the theme throughout this entire series on the Ten Commandments. How do we respond in love to what God has done for us? How do we respond in gratitude to what He has accomplished for us? A change of heart, which leads to a change of action. Our confession asks the question, but can those converted to God keep these commands perfectly? No, of course not. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some of God's commandments. With a seriousness of purpose, we now desire to live in the way that God has called us to live. We, as the next question will say, we never stop striving. Question 115. We may never stop striving, never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit so we may be renewed more and more after God's image. Never stop striving to show God our thankfulness. Never stop striving to show Him our gratitude. To recognize that He is the one and only God. To recognize we will worship as He has commanded. To honor His name, to honor His day. To be honorable in our relationships with others. To those in authority, to honor life and marriage and possessions and truth. All of these things as a response to God because of what He has done. Never tiring to live those lives of thankful obedience to Him because our hearts have been changed. Where is your heart today? Where is your heart this morning? Do you still find yourself striving after the old fallen, sinful ways. There is no life there. Again, so beautifully in this, in this passage, the contrast. Those who, who turn away from the Lord, He's like a shrub in the desert, shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. No life, no hope, no future 
only an eternity away from God if we remain inward focused, looking to ourselves for salvation. No, God calls us to recognize the glorious work of Jesus Christ, His perfect obedience on our behalf, offering Himself up as a sacrifice for sin, granting us His righteousness in response to all of that, saying, Lord God, our hearts love you. How can we thank you? How can we praise you? We will now live not for our own gain. We will live for you in accordance with your law, for your honor, and for your glory. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we do say with the prophet, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We know, Lord God, even yet, we who have been redeemed so often follow after our own hearts, after deceitfulness, after wickedness. Lord God, help us to recognize there is no life there that is only the path of death. Renew us this morning. Renew our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. For truly blessed is the one who trusts in you, whose trust is you, our Lord. We place our trust wholly and completely in your finished work, the removal of our sins, the granting of righteousness. Lord God, may we leave today rejoicing with thanksgiving for all that you have done for us. And may that heart of thankfulness overflow into a life of thankfulness. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.